0: Welcome back
1: to the Rise to the Challenge
0: podcast. My name is Alex Burkett, and I'm your host. Joining me today, she's a personal style coach for Daily Outfit and an entrepreneur. It's Allison Hamilton-Roy. How are you doing today, Allison?
1: Well, you know, all things considered, I would say I'm doing pretty great. Um, the state of the world is, is challenging, um, but, you know, I've got a roof over my head and food on my plate, and everyone's safe and healthy, so I'll take that for the win.
0: Yes, this, uh, this pandemic has definitely done a lot for me where it's an opportunity to go out and try new things. So I'm excited to be interviewing today. I'm ready to learn about your rice, the challenge. First, thank we'll- you. All of our guests as we go right to the end. talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up?
1: Okay, so where I'm from is, is I can either give you the short answer or the long answer. Um, which do you want?
0: Whichever one works for you.
1: Okay. Um, so my dad was a foreign service officer, so I was born in Brussels, Belgium. And then, uh, we moved on when I was four to London. So I grew up overseas. And then as when I was 10, we moved to Washington DC just outside of Washington DC in Maryland. So where I actually live in Maryland now, um, And so I'm sitting in Silver Spring, Maryland, but I've lived uh, in the Netherlands, I've lived in Arizona, I've lived in California, I went to school in New York. So um, I think of myself as well traveled and we call ourselves uh, third culture kids.
0: When you were growing up in those other countries, did you kind of get to understand the culture or learn a lot about the cultures in those countries?
1: Yes and no. You know, when you're an expat, um, and so in other words, you're just living in a place temporarily, there's a whole ecosystem that's set up around those types of people. So I was in an American school um, when I was in London, but I was in a Flemish preschool when I was little. So I did speak Flemish as a little girl, and it helped me uh, learn other languages as I was growing old. But I would say that primarily I, it, my experience was as an observer and being other in a culture that was not mine.
0: Being in those temporary houses or in that country temporary, what were you able to get involved in and what were you passionate about at a young age?
1: Um, oh, I love that question. I haven't thought about this in a really long time. Well, uh, I have to say, number one, when I was growing up, has to have been my Barbies. Honestly, I did a lot of playing with Barbies and also made my own paper dolls. Um, And I was also really into horse riding while I uh, was in England. It was beautiful to ride there and um, really enjoyed that. And took that up again when we lived in the Netherlands. So that was a a nice dovetail back.
0: Were you hoping to have a horse of your own in the future or with it just no like, way it no amazing?
1: no way too much work
0: did you have any motivations or inspirations um growing up
1: uh i think it was really all about being creative and you know exploring um my my own sense of uh right and wrong, I was, I've was. i always been very outspoken and confident as a child. Um, and so I would say in terms of passion, it was really pursuing that creativity.
0: Has that creativity shown throughout your experiences um, learning more and more about all the different types of stuff that you do?
1: Absolutely. It's what led me to get into being a personal style coach. Um, And for a while I wanted to be a screenwriter as well. So I wrote two scripts before I realized that I actually don't like writing scripts. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's always been about um, visual storytelling for me. And that's, that's what comes through when I realized I wanted to start my uh, styling business That's what it's always been about. It's about making sure that um, people understand who you are and you're authentic and true to yourself from the jump. When did you finally get back to the United
0: States and were staying in the United States? At what age were you, would you say?
1: I was 10. um, And then we we went back uh, to after I got married and had my kids, then we moved back. Both my husband and I are third culture kids. His dad was Air Force. So we gave that experience back to our children.
0: When you were growing up, um, a lot of people had that dream job that they wanted. What was that dream job for you?
1: You know, I thought I wanted to be an actress. I think, you know, I think so there's when I was growing up, there weren't that many jobs that were considered, um, you know, jobs that that girls could do. Um, It was still very much a gendered world, and so I saw, you know, lots of people being, women being creative that way, and it seemed like that would be super fun.
0: Did you have an actress or an actor that you were like, oh, I want to be like them, or I want to be in a
1: movie with them? No, actually. It just was the experience of being on stage and performing that I loved.
0: Did you not have much stage experience um, growing up or was this kind of like... Amazing? No, I did.
1: I did. I, yeah, I, I sang in choirs and I was in uh, plays and musicals and actually won the drama prize in high school. <laughs>
0: <Cool>. <laughs> For someone that's going, that maybe is going through or went through the similar situation where you were traveling a lot, what, could, what kind of tips or advice would you give them to say, show them that everything will be fine. You just got to find who you are as a person, and find something that you're passionate about while going through those different changes.
1: Yeah, I think it's all about being gentle with yourself and realizing that, you know, moving is one of the five biggest stressors. So, when you have when you're in crisis or you're having one of those stressors, and marriage is one of them too. I mean, it can be a happy happy thing. Um, you go into your lizard brain. And so you're just not, you're not thinking clearly. You're not necessarily, you're just all about survival at first. And even if it's not really true that you're all about survival, like, you know, I had a home and I had, you know, everything was fine. um, It still takes six to nine months before you can kind of relax and know your way around and feel quote unquote normal. But that's also a period of change and growth. So it's, you know, when you get through, it's like it's like a, a butterfly. When you get through, it's a beautiful thing, you know, and then you can fly.
0: I think definitely that you talked about kind of getting comfortable, uh, definitely with like growing up, I was always living with my parents and living with them mm-hmm. and Making that transition to living by myself where I'm in my own house, it's kind of like, oh, wow, everything's different. It's very quiet. Um, I gotta keep myself mo- doing something because usually yeah. home family are moving around, you got eight pets going. But it took me, like you said, a few months to kind of think, okay, this is my life now and getting normal. Yes. I'm still learning about things that are going on in my area. But it's kind of like, wow, like you kind of can do this. I think mean, it's yeah. one of those things that you build your self-confidence in a way.
1: Yeah, and it's a it's a muscle that, you know, some people flex a lot. Um, and my family certainly encouraged that. And it's, for, for some people, they never leave their hometown. And to me, there's no judgment either way. It's just whatever makes you happy you know and where your opportunities lie but i do think that it it's like that six to nine months before you get out of survival mode and then it takes about two years to truly explore your area and feel like you know it yeah i wish i could say
0: that but it's i still can't say that with my area
1: (laughs) but then you get to explore it and that can be really fun
0: I always have that mission where like every weekend I try to go find something new that I haven't. Nice. It's kind of like, wow, there's more than what we think that's in this area or because a lot of cities, they have that. This is what we're known for. But it's kind of like, there's more than that. So that's Of the- course, I'm exploring and,
1: and of course, right now you have the added bonus of having to have everything be outside and socially distanced. So that's an additional challenge. Uh, to fulfill those requirements and stay safe, but, you know, still go do new things.
0: Yes. Talk about your education. Where did you go to college? What were you pursuing at that time?
1: Um, Well, first, I went to a little school called St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland, which um, pursues the Great Books Program. So you're actually reading Plato. You're actually reading Aristotle, um, and you're learning Greek. And so it's a, it's a classical education. I was really excited about the idea of this program. And unfortunately, when I arrived there, I realized that my vision for college didn't match this tiny little school. Mm-hmm. And what I was learning was not exciting enough to me um, to sort of make up for that lack. So that was one of the first big, I, I hesitate to call it a mistake because it was a, it was, there was no way I could have known until I got there. Um, but, um, but I did course correct quite quickly, realized that was not where I was meant to be. I took a year off. Um, I did a theater internship and um, also did an outdoor ed internship, which was really fun. And then I went to Cornell University, which is completely opposite. It's huge, and they are big quads, and there are seven different schools. And, um, yeah, and it was an amazing experience. I did a double major there in film and in English literature and absolutely loved it and met some of my favorite people who are still – you know, some of my besties today. You talked about earlier where you went to
0: St. John's and how it wasn't the right fit for you. And I don't think that. And especially with the show, we don't view that as a mistake. It's kind of like a, a challenge or it's an obstacle, but you were able to tell yourself that I needed to take a break, maybe do a real evaluation. And then you started getting out there and you got those internships and you found that school. So it kind of, we always grow from our past in a way. And how yeah. you that you wanted to be an uh, an actor, an actress, and how you went through the theater internship, and then you did, uh, th- I think it was outdoor
1: ed. Yeah, outdoor
0: ed. I was like, I I was like outdoor ed. That would be fun to do. I mean,
1: it was really fun. And what I was trying to figure out was, you know, how to be more strategic with my education. Um, because of course it's very expensive to go to college and I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, leveraging those dollars well to set myself up for something that, um, you know, I might want to do as a career. And when I worked in the theater, I realized I absolutely did not want to be an actress. Oh, and yeah. And then I worked in this outdoor ed, um, internship because I was thinking about becoming a teacher, And it was sort of as close as I could get to the classroom experience. Plus, I got to learn how to kayak and mountain climb and do all these cool things. Um, So it was a really wonderful year um, of exploration and set me up well to be rigorous in my studies once I got to Cornell.
0: Would you say college was an area where it helped you find what that passion was, where you kind of, before you went to college, you had an idea of what you wanted to do but when you actually were starting to learn things you're kind of like this might not be the direction I want to go in
1: well now I realize that it's sort of always been about storytelling for me and you know that desire to be an actress uh, studying film studying literature um, and now as a personal style coach it's really just all about being creative being visual appreciating the, the um, you know, semiotics of color or uh, cut or whatever. I mean, I, I think there's meaning there um, and beauty. Um, and so I see the through line now, but I would never in a million years have been able to tell you when I was at Cornell that this is what I would be doing at my age. No way.
0: What brought you to Cornell? Cornell was there something that stuck out to you because we know like from me and maybe others we think of Ivy League school when it right Cornell and so what brought you to that school
1: well as I said I was being very strategic so I tried out these two different internships um, and I I was also a rower um, I had done that in high school at a very high level and um, I wanted to Um, continue that at a high level. So Cornell has, uh, at that time, it was number two in the um, nation, uh, or number three, I think. Um, So I was really interested in being in that program. I was really interested in studying film. It was the only place where I could do both at the level I wanted to do it at. Um, and, um, the English literature department is also one of the best in the country. So it really was all about the content. Um, and then that vision, you know, of college with the quad and the big trees and the beautiful buildings and, um, it really fit my ideal of what I wanted.
0: What's the biggest thing you learned about yourself during your time in college?
1: Oh, um, I love working hard. <laughs> and I'm a big geek. I'm a big geek. Yeah. Um, but at the same time I, I, you know, I was doing this double major. I had, I injured myself. I had to stop rowing. That was very hard. Um, and I realized I needed balance. Um, and I needed to spend more time with other people and have friends and I couldn't just work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was probably the biggest realization for me in college and how important those friendships are. And luckily I was able to make some wonderful friendships. I I joined a sorority, which I never in a million years thought I would do. Um, And two of my lifelong friends are from that sorority. I can Go figure.
0: It. I can definitely relate with when I was in college, I didn't want to join a fraternity because you hear all those negative things. So I yeah. I got pulled to an event and now I can say I don't regret it. Like my friends, I still talk to today, every day. And they're from Good. Me, that organization. And I think being in the organization, it kind of helped me with building up my resume in a way. And kind mm. of, I, got, I majored in sports management but the organization I was able to do event planning, marketing, uh, socializing Mm -hmm. with other people, Mm -hmm. getting out there and doing campaigns. So it's taught me a lot as a person of what I'm able to do and what I can do, not something what oh, you can only do this, but what you do.
1: Yeah.
0: So after college, what was that first job or that next step for you?
1: Well, interestingly, um, I... Went, so I went back home, and I didn't I, – I had planned to go to L.A. with a friend of mine. Um, I went out to Las Vegas to work on this movie, and the director kind of went nuts. Um, so <laughs> it was not great. Um, and, uh, and then I was supposed to go to L.A. with a friend of mine. That fell through, so I kind of came home, and I last thing I wanted to do was be working from home, you know, in my parents' house. Um, but um, I ended up working at uh, this, the like sort of a precursor to um, AmeriCorps. It was right when it was starting. And it really opened my eyes to um, the reality uh, of, um, you know, what we like to think of ourselves in America as not having a class system like they do in certainly the UK, you know. Um, But it really opened my eyes to the lack of opportunity and systemic racism. And um, so you know, just selfishly, that was a huge experience. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't stay in the program because it was really designed for people who needed to get their GED. And so we only worked four days a week. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I couldn't ever move out of my parents' home if I didn't get a real job. So then I started working at a documentary filmmaking company, which was incredible, very hard. Um, and um, and an amazing experience. I worked on a documentary uh, about Hiroshima and um, the decisions leading up to dropping um, the bomb and then the second bomb. And um, so that was incredible.
0: Were you wanting to focus on the documentary industry part or was that just a stepping stone you were hoping for to get you to the next level?
1: yeah i was not at all interested in documentaries i really wanted to make narrative films and i really wanted to go to la or new york um but i just didn't have the scratch you know Um, and i i needed to start paying my loans and you know how it goes i mean there are financial pressures
0: were you able to end up get out to la at some point or were you eventually
1: i did eventually i did i made my way there i wrote my screenplays I uh, worked for a guy um, who was head of television at Disney, and he took a look at my script and he liked it. Um, but um, but I, at that time, I had I had also fallen in love and um, got engaged, and uh, my husband to be um, got a job in Kazakhstan. Oh wow! So-
0: Not staying in L.A. that much longer.
1: No, no. And and then we got married and we were headed out to Kazakhstan for two years. And I thought, this is great. I can work. I can write more scripts. I can take his feedback and, you know, um, work on another script. And then I'll have a real portfolio. And then maybe we can go back out to L.A. or we can go to New York and I can get an agent and all of that. Uh, But then the Russian economy tanked. And we didn't get sent to Kazakhstan, and so we ended up in New York City, um, which was uh, amazing.
0: When you were writing those screenplays, what were the themes that you were going for? What kind of screenplays were you trying to write?
1: The first script that I wrote uh, was actually a family story about a ghost um, in a home. um, And it was, set in the present day and in, during the American Revolution. And it was all about you know, the tension between um, the loyalists and the revolutionaries and the breakdown of society. The second uh, movie that I wrote was about a woman who goes to another country um, who's a doctor. And she goes with her husband um, and can't practice. Um, so it was sort of a fish out of water story. And um, for me, it was very important. You know, At the time, there weren't that many female directors. There weren't that many movies with um, female main characters. And so that was really my focus, is writing stories uh, with great female characters in them and plot driven by the female main character.
0: What was the toughest part about writing a uh, screenplay? Like, is it like having the time to do it, coming up with? ideas or talk about what, what was your challenges that you faced?
1: The part that I hated the most was rewriting. I loved coming up with ideas and writing the first draft. That was bliss for me, but then having to go back and really punch it out in terms of the plot structure that Hollywood likes. um, And there's a very specific structure the way the way screenplays are in the, like you know the denouement happens on page whatever i can't even remember now um but um i hated that part i loved writing dialogue i loved writing the description you know i loved creating the world um but hewing to those rules i found awful
0: <laughs> has any of your screenplays like gone into production or are they still all
1: no no they've no no they never have i i got to the point when i had sort of written my second script when i was in new york i was in a writing group and we were all very serious and and i just you know i just realized that i hated the process and the way that you make your money when you're a screenwriter is in rewrites very rarely do screenwriters actually get the, their, you know, big deal where they sell their script and then it's made into a movie. Mostly it's in rewriting work. And so I realized uh, this is not a career for me.
0: When you were faced with love and then your career, was that hard to make that decision where you possibly were going to another country, but maybe I could have had something still in L.A.
1: No, uh, the universe showed me very clearly, I needed to leave LA. Um, and my so my company went out of business. Oh. <laughs> uh, my, my roommate got really sick and had to go to the hospital. Um, so it was like all ends, all roads ended. And, you know, I think that I had faith that I could make it work. It was a temporary assignment, and it was a huge adventure. And it was a dream come true for my husband to go and live and work in a Russian-speaking country. Um, and you know, I thought, I, I'm totally up for the adventure, and we'll, I'm just going to go along for the ride.
0: Kind of goes back to when you did the, your outdoor education internship. You're kind of like, well, you're wanting that um, journey or those experiences to yes rower, kayak rock climb so it's kind of like this is that opportunity where i'm gonna go on those adventures and i'm gonna make each day worth it because who who knows if i would ever get this opportunity to go to another country and live there possibly
1: yeah i've never made it to kazakhstan
0: is it on your bucket list i guess no <laughs> <laughs> Well, not right now. We can't go anywhere. So. No, we
1: can't. We're not allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> so
0: after the changes, what was the hardest thing about going from L.A. to New York?
1: So New York is a very expensive city. And I really had to be practical there and just get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually got a great job. Um, with great benefits, which was very important at the time. Um, And I kind of was able to do my writing while I was doing this job. And we didn't have the term side gig um, at that point. um, But that's what I was doing. And it was really wonderful. Um, And then just about the time when I figured out that I hated rewriting. I got a new boss and she figured out that I was actually really highly educated and very capable and able to do much more than what I was doing in my job. (laughs) So she promoted me. And so it all kind of worked out. And then I ended up having this corporate career um, where I was very, very, you know, good at the functions of my job, but I wasn't that interested in the content of my job. So it went completely flipped. Right, so before I had been totally focused on the content and not so much about the practicality, and then I became very practical and didn't have the content.
0: What were you doing at that job, the, the corporate job that you had?
1: Yeah, it was in an, a medical advertising company. So nothing to do with my training, <laughs> nothing to do with my interests. We did medical education and medical advertising and, um yeah. I, I was, it was a weird thing to be a smart person, but not smart in a certain way, you know? So I was very capable of doing all the functions of my job, but when it came to the content, I would read these articles and I would not understand them mm-hmm. really. And that was humbling.
0: Where is is there a time where you were trying to learn about those things that you didn't know about or were they not willing to give you that opportunity
1: oh it was so over my head I mean it really these were articles written for people who went to medical school with lots of jargon and you know they were going in scientific journals and um I suppose if I had had any interest I probably could have figured it out but it made it very clear to me that I was not going to medical school (laughs)
0: Complete <laughs> kind of complete two different worlds with what yeah. you're learning and then what you were doing. So,
1: Although I'm very good at first aid. So. <laughs> Just all, saying.
0: All up to date on your first aid uh, license or was it certification?
1: certification? Well, you know, I had to I had to do wilderness first aid for my outdoor ed um, oh. training. So, you know, I know what to do if we're in the woods, but I wouldn't. <laughs> well,
0: nope, you're on your own. <laughs> yep.
1: So I know a lot
0: of people that can relate, where they kind of take a job, and it's kind of like like when you move to a new area, you're kind of like whatever is out there. I need get myself making money, get the benefits because you were getting married and or you were uh, moving, and that you were gonna you kind of had to sacrifice some things. Yeah. For someone that's going through that, what would you give them in advice to do? Because I've gone through the same thing where. I kind of took the first job I found out of college. It looked nice on paper, but when I actually was physically doing the job, I'm like, why did I find this? Why am I still (laughs) here? Yes. One of those jobs where, as I'm a sports management major and I have like business background and all that, I took a job where you sell products in a Sam's club where Mm. the people who would test you on those. And like you said, where you didn't know anything medical, I had to sell face cream oh boy I don't use any of this stuff and they're like you need to know all these terminologies like well thank goodness Google's out there because I know people would be asking me questions about the product I'm like I'm gonna be honest I have no idea what you're talking about Oh dear! (laughs) so I was like I knew it was my time to not be here anymore yes luckily my uh previous job in college was like we need you back so I was like oh "Oh, good Perfect. So what would you give to someone that is going through the same similar situation, but they need to kind of find where they need to fit comfortably?
1: I think in that situation, you have to look at the journey and figure out what it is that you can learn from the situation. You know, in your case, you realized very quickly that this was not something you wanted to be doing and you got out. Mm-hmm. Um, in my situation, I was really good at my job and I kept getting promoted. So there was um there was an incentive there to stay in it. I was learning so much. I learned project management, I learned, you know, client services. Um I I Learned how to budget, you know, I, I did half a million dollar budgets and reconciled them and, you know, ran a team and managed people and built a wonderful team. So there was always a, a fun challenge in the work and we were able to execute at a really high level and I really enjoyed that. Um, and it really wasn't until I got pregnant and had my first child Um, and my husband got an opportunity to travel a lot and I was also traveling and the math just didn't work out that, you know, I finally said, okay, this isn't working. Um, and for, again, for practical reasons, chose to leave. Um, but you know, when you're doing really well in a career, it's compelling, Mm -hmm. And, and that's hard to say goodbye to.
0: Yeah. I I can definitely, it's kind of like with me, it's one of those where if I, if I kept being promoted at my previous job, maybe it would be a little bit different. But it's kind of when I hit that, OK, you're stuck here, it's kind of like, yes. you're giving me that uh, ammunition to tell me to go find something else. Right. What What is there next for me to do? Um, when you were leading a team what were you trying to do to be a great leader for them besides just having that title
1: I think the most important thing for me that I learned from my mentor um, in my in my corporate career was a willingness to just be very clear about the job that needs to be done and not get fussed about who's you know got what title and just roll your sleeves up and do the job. Um, At the same time, because I had been a rower and I also played field hockey and I played soccer, um, from my sports background, I really understood the need for, you know, building a strong team and having those specialists who are, you know, I had one woman who I'm still friends with today who is amazing at going through a contract where I would look at the contract and it would just swim in front of my eyes. She would, you know, pick out every detail. And, um, you know, when she, so I, I had her negotiate with the hotels. That was her job, you know, and making sure that everything was all the eyes were dotted and the T's were crossed. I could see the forest. She had the trees, you know, and there were other situations where, um, there were people who were better at things than I was And I thought, you know, I think it's very important um, if you're able to recognize those gifts that people have to acknowledge them a lot and let them do the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so that when, when you're clear on what your goal is and what you're trying to achieve and everything that we did was project based. So there was time sensitive, there was an event or there was a publication or whatever. Um, there was always a deadline. You know, I knew I could get us to that deadline, but I needed everyone to do their jobs well too. And I continually fed them that positive reinforcement of, you know, you're doing a great job. My door is open. We're gonna get it done. You know, rah rah rah.
0: So your focus was more working as a team in a way, not saying I them do it I'm then if things need to get fixed I'm just going to take it over and control it myself you were more let's work as a team in a way let's do it together and I like how you said using that positive affirmation because for us as people that are working for someone we want to be told like you're doing a great job and then because once that negative thought comes in our minds that's where it just starts going downhill and it could deteriorate from the work that's being produced
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you have to be willing to make the hard decisions. And I knew the buck stopped with me and that, you know, my reputation was on the line. So there were times when I had to assert my position and say, no, we're going to do it like this. And, you know, if it all crashes and burns, I'll take the heat.
0: Was this the job before you made that transition into what you're doing today? Or was there something else you wanted to
1: do? Yeah
0: to talk about how the, your, um, choice of starting daily outfit, um, came about.
1: So when I left corporate, I really had no idea what I was doing next. Um, I knew that I was not particularly thrilled with having someone else care for my child most of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then when my husband got this new opportunity, he was on the road more, um, I, I knew that someone needed to be raising that kid. Um, and we were able to work it out financially, so I just sort of gave myself some time to be with her and figure my next step out. So I took, took the job of you know sort of being the nanny, <laughs> and um, it lasted about nine months. Um, before I realized I really need some boxes to check and children don't really provide boxes to check. Um, So, you know, I knew it wouldn't be good for me or for my child uh, to continue doing that as a full-time caregiver. Um, So I sent an email out to my friends and family and I said, you know, I know I really don't like it when people tell me what to do, but now I'm actually asking, you know, if you've ever wanted to tell me what to do, now's the time. And I couldn't believe what came back, which was daily outfit. People asked me to talk about styling. They asked me to talk about, you know, style on a budget. They asked me to talk about um, size inclusivity, which wasn't even really a thing at that point. Fashion was really for thin, rich, white, blonde women. And that was it. Um, So, you know, there were all of these different perspectives that I wanted to bring to bear to invite everyone to the table and give them an opportunity to participate in the power of style, which I knew from you know my experience as a young child going into a new classroom and being the new girl so many times.
0: For your family and friends to say that should be the approach that you take, what do you think from previous experience thought they should say that's what you should be doing? Was there something that you think that they picked out maybe for the things that you're wearing or maybe for the stuff that you're doing, they're like, this would be perfect for you.
1: Yeah. It was something I had always done for my friends and family. I always helped them go shopping. I helped them figure out their wardrobes. I was, you know, I created a system when we moved to New York cause I you know, just left California and Arizona. So I had to create a whole new wardrobe on a budget and um, you know, in a six floor walk up where I could only do laundry once a week you know, and I, so I had, I was passionate about it. And uh, I think people observed that. And it, it was something that I never would have thought to myself, I'm going to go become a stylist because it felt too sort of fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the way that, that the feedback that came back to me was that all of these different perspectives are not being represented. And so there's a way to do this in a way that's, um practical and uh, respectful at the same time.
0: Was your mission to kind of take away those stereotypes in that industry and kind of break it off to where anyone can be a part of this in a way? Yes. So after that, what what has been the challenges that you faced of running this company? And how did you overcome those obstacles?
1: So I, I often say that being an entrepreneur is like the best personal development course you can ever take. Um, it can be terrifying at times and there, you, you know, there's a lot to learn um, in running a business. And I have such respect for people who, who choose um, their business well, build it and are successful at it um, because it really takes a lot of grit and perseverance Um, the biggest challenges were, I guess, the same as, you know, when I, uh, was pursuing screenwriting and, um, when I left corporate, it was really that I married this man who loves to travel and wanted an international career. So I built my business. We were living in Jersey city at the time. I made it profitable and then he got the opportunity to move to the Netherlands. Um, and so I had to pick my business up and it was the, the job was for 18 months. So I was like, I'm not going to rebuild my whole client list, you know, now. Um, so then I took that as an opportunity to pivot uh, and create and really focused in on personal style and created the programming around personal style. Cause I realized there is no process out there except for the one that I have now created to help you figure out what your personal style is. There are a lot of people out there who can tell you what you should wear. Yeah. But there aren't, there aren't so many people who can help you figure that out for yourself so that it's authentic and true. Um, one of my clients said, you know, this process, you're not know, having style done to you. You are creating your own style, and so it's a it's a you know a process of um, unveiling and and allowing the authentic, true self to to appear in a beautiful way.
0: I think definitely. I think with some people that do the uh, styling, they kind of just it's more like surface. Like oh, you need yes. this, this, you need to wear that it sounds like you go really more deep and try to really showcase that this person, what they can um, do and the different opportunities and what they can wear and what they, and more about the person than just what, they're, what they look like. As yes. You, as you can tell, I have great style. I
1: mean. <laughs> it's working for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, and that is, it is what it is. We start with what flatters you Um, And for women, that can be very confusing. There's a lot that they don't necessarily know about. And it's all just data. You know, it's your coloring. It's your hair type. It's your face shape. And, um, you know, I think for men, there's a much smaller box of sort of what's okay and what's not okay. And it's very clear from situation to situation. But women have different bodies. And they have different coloring. And there are a lot more data points that go into it. So I just... Tell them and show them what the data points are so that they can clear away that confusion and then start to figure out, okay, now I know what colors I, I can wear. I know what shapes I can wear. Now, how do I want to dress? What makes me feel good? You know, and what's on mission for me?
0: Talk about the process on taking on a client. What does that look like for you? Uh
1: I think because it is such a personal process, um, most people come to me through a speaking engagement or a referral or uh, meeting up, you know, uh, in networking. Obviously, that's all online right now. Um, But there really has to be a personal connection. And for many of my clients, they've been looking for someone like me for a long time and haven't found it. um, Because of that experience of many fashion people being being all about the surface. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really wanting to find someone who will take the time to help them elucidate what makes them feel good and look good at the same time.
0: You talked about you do speaking engagements. How is that different than doing like a one-on-one with a client?
1: Uh, I talk about my philosophy, I talk about the, um, the science behind it, I explain my uh, formula for personal style. So it gives people uh, an, a view into this different approach that I have. Um, and, and it allows them to hear about it in a way that is free. You know, um, where they don't necessarily have to have made the choice or realized that they, this is something that they wanted. And then they, they come to, you know, a webinar or um, a networking event where I'm speaking, and they're like, oh, wow, that sounds really fun. You know, and it becomes a personal development journey um, that has a really concrete and beautiful result. Do you
0: have some people where they're kind of hesitant on the process or they're kind of like, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but then as you are able to tell them about your philosophies and stuff, they're kind of like, oh, this is exactly the opposite of what I was thinking it was going to be.
1: No, I think my, my talk is pretty clear and I invite people to book a one-on-one with me afterwards and we start with their style challenge and what's really getting in their way. And then I give them tips and tricks about that. And sometimes in that conversation, you know, we realize that they don't need to work with me. Mm -hmm. Not everyone needs to do the deep work. Sometimes it's just realizing, oh, you know, I wasn't wearing a, a third piece. And so now I need to start adding jackets to my outfits or a scarf or jewelry or something to make it more polished. And that's, you know, easy. And they go on along their way. Um, but for some people, um, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of hurt and shame uh, with this um, experience of style and looking good. And uh, you know women are judged very harshly um, for this. And so I think for people who need to do the deep work and want to do the deep work, they realize that they're safe with me and I'm going to be kind and support them throughout. And that it's you know fun and it's a cool clear process that they can follow. Engineers love it.
0: <laughs> so, what does the future look like for you professionally and personally? What are your next goals that you want to accomplish?
1: Oh, Alex, I wish I knew. Um, I have to be honest with you. COVID has kind of thrown me for a loop, um, you know, and it's been tough. Um, I have a book that I've written and my big goal for this year was to publish it. Um, but you know, uh, most people are walking around in their sweatpants and (laughs) they're not, you know, really, uh, needing to figure out, you know, well, I mean, I think they do. I think that it's important, um, to look and feel good on a daily basis. Um, and that there's power behind that and science behind that. But um, I think for a lot of people, this is the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And right now, many people are dealing with the bottom. You know, they're just dealing with security and food and having a roof over their heads. And you know, the anxiety that goes around with just not knowing what's gonna happen.
0: It's crazy to think like everyone's wardrobe has completely changed. Like I know before I was wearing very- Nice polo shirts, khaki pants, khaki shorts, black pants, jeans. Yep. Now at work attire is an athletic shirt, shorts, and sandals. Right now. So, exactly. Like just imagine it transforming into that. But you kind of brought um, brought up a great point where maybe some people don't know what their next goals are, and they're just maybe yeah. trying to find what is next for them. And I think that's a great thing about this show is. We all have those different stories and we don't know what is next, especially during these times, but we know that we're going to head into a direction that we'll want to go to eventually.
1: Yeah. Well, I can tell you what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that all of this working from home for the people who are lucky enough to have those jobs and be able to do that opens up a third way Um, because, you know, for a long time, our work structure has not been compatible with life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's in, in the United States, people work really hard. There's a lot of face time, um, there's a lot of hours. It's not compatible with, you know, caring for children or elderly parents or, you know, anyone in, who, who needs care. I have a disabled brother. And, you know, I think that there's a third way that's going to open. And we're seeing all of the cracks in our society and examining, you know, it's like there's been a huge spotlight on all the things that we haven't paid attention to in our relentless pursuit of our goals. And so what I'm hoping is that for style, for example, there's going to be a new way of being that isn't about being suited up and having the stilettos on, but isn't about sweatpants and t-shirts either. Mm-hmm. The people are going to get sick of that. And there's gonna be a third way of being comfortable in your own skin. And that's what I do.
0: You talked about your writing a book. Is this kind of a way that you kind of found another way of writing, like before you were doing screenplays and writing that? But now this is maybe, this is a different territory, but you're still getting that joy in writing about something.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I do I do blog. Um, also every other week. So, I've kept up a very consistent writing practice and that's how I wrote the book. Um, it was actually remarkably easy.
0: You're you're just already an expert at writing stuff. Right? <laughs> my- and this was
1: writing I enjoyed. It wasn't like the rewriting.
0: <laughs> you talked about like finding like new things and opportunities. This show was one of those. I was going through furlough with my company and I had that moment where I'm like, I have no idea what's next. And this opportunity was upon me. Um, People, like you said, were reaching out to me saying, you should do something like that. And I'm like, okay, let's start it. Best decision ever. Um, The great part is I can do it at the same time as working. So I still get that joy. Like you get the the joy of writing, about doing blogs and books. I get the joy of doing these interviews every single time I do. So yeah. I'm excited that we both have found that passion even going through the challenge of this pandemic. Yeah. For someone that's in your industry or they're wanting to pursue the style industry and the fashion industry, what tips or advice would you give them to rise to the challenge in that industry?
1: Oh, that's an excellent question. And I think it is very, very hard right now. Um, You know, I built my own business and created my own process and um, lead my clients through a very specific journey. I'm not styling celebrities. I'm not, you know, um, working in a store. I think those are all great ways to do it. Um, And I think that if you have the passion and the drive um, to build a business, that's wonderful. Um, But I think what I always say to entrepreneurs is, Realize that it's going to take time and you need runway. So don't quit your day day job, you know, start it and start building whatever it is uh, that you decide you want to do. And once you have, you know, a good amount of money in the bank, then you can take off. Um, But you really need that runway because, you know, uh, most businesses fail because they're not profitable in the first year. But if you know you're not gonna be profitable in the first year, then you can navigate around that with some planning.
0: Based on your experience and your journey, uh, for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to rise to their challenge to overcome obstacles and accomplish their goals?
1: For me, it's always been about trusting um, that it's going to work out and being willing to take that leap um, to you know, listen to my body when I'm excited about something and there's a new adventure on the horizon that I can open that door and step through it and I'm going to figure it out on the other side. I think understanding what your boundaries are and what it is that brings you joy, you know, for someone else, that may sound terrifying and not like anything that they would ever want to do. You have to trust yourself and really try to become um, self-aware what it is that you like, what it is that you don't like, you know, what your boundaries are um, and what brings you joy. And I think that um, will lead you through. It certainly has for me.
0: Well, Allison, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your rise to the challenge and talk about your journey. We definitely have learned a lot about you, and we are so excited to see what the future looks like for you and your business.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it, Alex.
0: Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you check out our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What paths will you take to accomplish
1: your goal? You decide.